Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. This is episode 131. 131, I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Rack, uh, Ryan, he's back from his uh, fishing trip. Uh, like, you, like you're doing pretty good, man. Like you... Got some, got some confidence. I didn't know you learned Mandarin on a fishing trip, Ryan. That's <laughs> unusual. You know, I, I did listen briefly to the beginning of the show. I was able to secretly download it in communist China while I was there. Um, I heard what was said. It's okay, you know. It's uh, I didn't catch a fish in China, so I really can't. I can't say a whole lot about fishing because I didn't catch it. I did not. I did not catch a fish in China. So, for what that's worth, wasted I, trip. I was detained in China. Um, I did escape detainment. I'm back in the States. And so, um, you know, at advice of legal counsel, we'll leave it there for now. But, um, you know, Josh, it was good. Um, the The comments hurt. They hurt. I never said anything mean about you the whole time you've been gone that I, that I remember at least or that I'll will acknowledge. But uh, anyways, well, on to important news because I don't think you guys did anything while I was gone. Um I did see that we were up to 196. Now, I didn't graduate college, Josh, so I struggle with high-level math, but I think that means that we're four shy of the 200 mark. Is that correct? Four shy. Four shy. Nate okay. and Lake. Nate and Lake were four shy, so that means the first four people to download this podcast that have not left a review, five stars or higher, please go do that. We did pick up at least one while I'm gone. Did you read these other ones? Um, I did. I read. We did. Yeah, I did read them. Okay. Well, since this one talks about you particularly, Josh, in a very um, good manner, then we'll let you go ahead and read it for the the listeners here. Go ahead. With pleasure. Remember to enunciate. With pleasure, Ryan. This podcast has made the oil and gas industry very approachable and educational. I am just entering the industry as my new account base includes a lot of the major oil and gas companies in Texas. Very informative and entertaining. Ryan, maybe next time for you to save the country with the China trade agreement. Josh, keep it up, brother. As only clearly enunciating host, we lean on you for the info. And Nate, stay strong. We are getting close to getting the other two in the water with you. Let's go, people. I love so, how they compliment you guys and then talk to me like I'm about to go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say, just for the record, if I would have read that, I'd have started off by saying ultimate combo five stars from Jammin 811. I'd give the person a shout out. So all you Josh fans, just notice when he reads your review, he never once acknowledges you. Never once. He's never not a, shows you love. Never shows you love. That's because he's not a man of the people. He's left of center, as someone has already pointed out. Uh, he's a communist in wolf's clothing. I am a man of the people, Jammin 811. Thank you. Um, on the trade agreement, I was detained in China, so I had to, to negotiate my own release. So I had that. Um, there was a story that broke in the Wall Street uh, in in the New York Times while I was there the previous Saturday. You can go look up that about some of the camps in China. Also, China announced upon my return that they will be tightening up their IP theft laws. So, thank you, America. Um, as far as signing the trade agreement, Donald Trump did not email it to me. So, I don't know what. I mean, if he didn't email me the agreement, how can I sign it? I had my Adobe Sign and Feel app ready to go. I was I was there. I was in Beijing. I was meeting with high-level staffers, high-level people. I was ready to sign it. I even had, look, I even had my pen, my trusty pen, uh, in black, red, and blue. I was prepared to sign. So uh, I'm sorry, Jammin. I feel like I let the American people down, but, you know, I didn't get I didn't get the email. I, oh, you know what? I didn't check my spam box. 
You didn't try to check I, your Twitter account I either. Yeah, I, I didn't check my spam, so I don't know. It might be in there. I did check Twitter. Wait, no. I, <clears throat> Twitter's illegal in China. I did not check Twitter. You are correct. <laughs> <laughs> I did not check Twitter. You are, you are correct. So, yeah, Josh, way to, way to go and alienate your listeners while you are enunciating everything. Hey, Ryan, I, I didn't quite catch some of that. A uh, little bit of mumbling. Uh, could you repeat some of that for me? Please? So, Josh, with, with that clearly enunciating thing out in the open now, I think that uh, you should spend the rest of this episode talk, talking in a British accent. <laughs> well, Nate, I think we are getting above my pay grade here. <laughs> British British accents are, are not my not my forte. Enunciating yeah, is. Okay, go ahead, Josh. Let's get the show going. All right, so... Uh, I, few of you may have heard uh, there was an explosion in Midland, a fire, and, uh, and the original reports that came out said that no one was injured, and so that was, uh, that was great news. But uh, a report came out uh, more recently that there was one individual, um, Esteban Sanchez, had burns on his hands and his face, and he is in a hospital in Lubbock. Uh, so you know, our, our prayers are with him. Hope he is okay. Um, as far as what caused the explosion, uh, I don't believe we have any definitive uh, comments or things on that, but um, we do know that the official report is they're allowing that uh, to continue burning. They're just going to let it let the, the burning continue on until it is out. So I assume that it is out by now. Um, haven't had any, you know, any updates. So, and, and just from our perspective, you said he's in Lubbock. I guess I wonder if Lubbock has a better burn unit or something like that. Do you do you know why he's in Lubbock? Because this was in Midland, Midland correct? County. Yeah. yeah. So I guess Lubbock must have a better, um, a better burn unit or, or, or something there. So I'm not not too familiar with the hospital. Um, I, I do have a note here. The initial explosion <coughs> involved a hot oiler and a frack tank. It's first caught in around 10:30 a.m. Um, it says a worker was injured but only suffered minor burns. That was the original. Um, right. That was the original. The truck caught on fire along with four to five frack tanks. Um, so that officials are now letting the fire burn out. So, Yeah, it looks like uh, the University Medical Center at Texas Tech has the only burn unit in West Texas. Okay. So. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense, then, yeah. All right, so we're coming up on uh, Thanksgiving, and uh, this time of year, you know, we typically see fuel prices uh drop a little bit but the oil prices have actually gone up some so i think it's kind of kind of balanced out i think they dropped one uh, one to two cents over the last couple of weeks uh typical things happen around this year they're actually anticipating the traveling to be up uh, so you know oil, oil and gas prices being low should be uh, another another good incentive for folks in the industry you know, I, I don't know if this is still true or not, but there used to be studies that would say that when the uh, the gas price would drop, people would actually drive more than the, the than the difference they're saving. So, you know, if the gas was two dollars and it dropped down to a dollar seventy-five, people wouldn't drive, you know, twenty-five cents worth of uh, additional uh, miles per gallon to make up for it. They drive like you know four dollars worth. So instead of going from Let's say the savings was the difference between going from here to Midland. You'd go from like here to San Diego. And so it's, I don't know if that's still true or not, but there was a long period of time where it seemed to be that was the case. So when you see the gas prices drop, you do wonder um, how much that will incentivize people to drive. I am driving against my own will um, this week, but it has nothing to do with fuel prices, so I'm not very happy about that. I don't. I, I guess there's probably a lot of people like me, though, Josh, who are driving <laughs> against their will <laughs> uh, <that's Thanksgiving. laughs> for holiday fun. 
Yeah, well, I, I tell you, the holidays is uh, supposed to be a time when you kind of rest and recoup, but all the travel makes that makes that pretty difficult, especially when you live, you know, spread out, and you got to travel all over the all over the place. Well, you know, some of us, Josh, we work. You know, we got jobs and we work, and we, you know, we we go to you know Nicaragua and China and Africa and all over Texas and now Louisiana, and you know, we don't we don't get to take off. And, you know, rest and relax and, you know, we don't get three-day weekends, you know. So, you know, it's just, it is what it is, is all I'm trying to say. Yeah, I'm bitter about last week, in case you're wondering. I'm yeah, bitter. Yeah, well. I'm a little bit bitter. You got to see the Great Wall of China, man. I did get to see the Great Wall, but I'm still a little bitter. Well, Ryan, uh, there's some companies out here, the private equity uh, back companies. They've been facing some difficulty for, I'd say, the, the bulk of this year. They are looking for an exit, and, and there's been talks about you know, different, different ways they can adapt to the current market. And right now, I, I just don't know that they're, they're adapting very well. Uh, most of the reports that I'm seeing, most of the conversations that I'm having, uh, these PE-backed companies are really struggling and, and trying to find uh, their next steps. I haven't seen many go, uh, you know, file bankruptcy yet. Um, I'm not saying they will. It's just, I'm just curious to see how this is about to play out. They're having a hard time uh, going public, you know, with IPOs. And as far as selling goes, it seems like that 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 option is not available at the moment either. Uh, it seems that there's just a little bit of hesitancy in the market to go in and purchase some of these companies. I don't know if it's uncertainty with their production capabilities uh, or what they're, you know, what it's going to look like, you know, in the next year or two. But... Um, it's definitely something interesting to watch. I mean, the, the PE has been such a major piece of, of the business since 2015. Seeing how they're going to adapt is going to be one of the, the big things to watch, I think, next year. Yeah, I think, you know, Josh, when you look at it, you know, we, we talk about the oil and gas industry. Um, obviously, a lot of the headlines come from the publicly traded companies. And the PE companies are interesting because – the PE companies obviously have a lot more influence over the management team than the publicly traded companies. You know, if you think about the Oxy deal a few months ago, you know, we talk about Carl, Carl Icahn. Well, he only has so much power. He didn't want him to do the deal. He was a major investor, and it still didn't matter. If a PE company, you know, they can they can put the squeeze on the management team uh, a lot more. So I think that the PE companies, depending on where they're at as far as, um, you know, the balance sheet, their ability to pivot is a little bit different because they can tighten down the screws quicker. They can give more clear directive. Um, they can infuse capital. There's a lot of things that they can do uh, that makes them a little bit more nimble if their balance sheet isn't, you know, isn't too far out of whack. So I think, as, as, as you mentioned, we move into next year and beyond, it's going to be interesting to see you know, kind of how they respond. They, um, I'm sure some of them got caught up in some of the same stuff um, some of the bigger companies did with expanding drilling programs and things like that. But, again... It's, it's not the same, and so you have to kind of treat them differently. If you look at some of the PE guys that, that I know that kind of, um, you know, kind of the comments that they make is is that a lot of the PE money right now is very hard to get, and when you get it, it's, you know, you better have a very, very thorough plan on how you're going to execute and capitalize and make the money back for these groups, and which is a good thing, right? You know, it's a good thing. And so, you know, I, I think the PE money will play a role moving forward. You know, I, I don't know. I haven't looked at the the prices as much. I was telling you before we got on it and get a chance to follow a lot of the headlines last week. I don't even know what the price of oil is right now. Let me uh, let me pull it up here. 
So it's a 57 right now, so it's at a good good spot. The rig counts, you know, I think I saw one post that's it's still going down. I mean, we did have the one rig boom, so we, we, can't, forget the, <laughs> we can't forget the one rig boom that we had. I saw boom. someone share that article <laughs> on on uh, LinkedIn the other day, and, and I, I could tell by their comment that they, that they just read the headline, that they hadn't read the actual substance of the article. And I, I didn't say anything, but... It, <laughs> the one rig boom. They, um, I did see someone share that. So you know we had the one one rig boom, but aside from that, the the rig count's going down. The ducks, they're going to play out eventually. Wherever you come in on that debate, so the market has to shift. The price, barring something crazy, has to come up. P will play a big role in that moving forward. And you know, listen, it doesn't mean that it's going to be all Permian stuff. And we've talked about that since probably episode one, which is hey, that might not be the spot for you. So that will be the really interesting thing is. Where does the PE money go moving forward? Does it go out in the Permian where it's a little bit more costly? You know, the stakes are, um, the returns are probably a little bit, uh, I, don't, I don't know if uh, guaranteed is the right word to use, but the results are a little bit more proven. Or do you see the money go down to the scoop stack, uh, to the Eagle Fruit, somewhere like that where the cost is a little bit lower, the barrier of entry is a little bit easier. Um, it's just a different market altogether. So I think that's kind of what's going to be interesting moving forward with the, uh, with the PE guys. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned Carl Icahn. Uh, he there was a report that came out just I don't know if it was this morning or yesterday afternoon afternoon uh, where he was trying to take control of the board of Oxy. Um, there was, it was a report that came out on Bloomberg, and some people were you know, cited that he had some folks that he was trying to to get on the board. I think there were some similar talks that came out you know months ago when his you know original. Um, flare kind of hit the market. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I hadn't seen the story, but I put up now. If you remember, I believe that it, we theorized that he. You know, so we we were talking at the time. We thought he was a board member, and we thought that he was going to try, try to expand his power on the board. We were wrong. He wasn't a board member, but it looks like we were correct in predicting that he was going to try to expand his power inside of Oxy. And uh, yeah, according maybe to sources predict- close to the matter, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe he didn't think of this. He probably was listening to the show and thought, what a brilliant idea. That's probably what happened, um, if I had to guess. You know, probably he's a listener, long-time listener. Mr. Icon, we'd love to have you on yeah, for an interview. Yeah, we'd have you on. Probably a long-time listener, first-time caller type gig. But um, but it doesn't surprise me because it does make sense. And But I, I want to say, God, being this whole China, this, the China-Nicaragua deal has kind of got my, my wires crossed. But I want to say, didn't he sell some of his stock recently too? I don't know. I want to say, I, I, thought, I thought I read that or he's threatening to. So I haven't. I've been I've been out of the loop here for a little bit, so it's kind of. Uh, I remember seeing together, something but, like that, but that would be a strange thing to do if you're trying to nominate ten directors by you know, and you're selling stocks. Seems like you'd be giving up some some of your leverage. Yeah, I have to go back and uh, I have to go back and look that up when uh, uh, the next couple of weeks before we uh, come back after after holiday. Well, there was a, another uh, report that came out uh, in Kingfisher. There were eight wells shut down. As more salt water continues to spew out of the ground, uh, so this has been going on for quite some time. I saw this video. I was talking to someone at SPE, and uh, he he mentioned this to me, and so I, I looked it up. Fascinating story, really. So the salt water has been been uh, bubbling up under the ground, and it's been going on for quite some time, and they don't know where it's coming from, and so they've they've and they've had to shut down eight wells so far as they're they're still working on it. So. Uh, Interesting story, you know. It's salt water, and you mentioned a few things, Ryan, about uh, yeah, 
Well, I think there's a couple things, and, and this is not my area of expertise, so a listener can, you know, shoot us a message on LinkedIn or through the website or whatever, give us some insight here. But it said that there'd be 12,000 gallons each day. So I would imagine, and I don't know about the Oklahoma records, but I would imagine that there should be some kind of loose record or the operators would have some idea of how much um, they put back into the ground in this area. So if you're talking about 12,000 gallons a day, and this has been going on for, uh, how long has this been going on? It's been going on for uh, quite some time now, if I remember correctly. Um, I, I, th- I thought I saw six months, but I, 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 may, I may be making that up. Yeah, but it's been going on. It's been going on for a, 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 a yes, a, but yeah. more than six months just, after the salt water was spotted. Yeah, and so if you're talking about that, it's like okay, well, that much, that much um, going. It, it has that much been injected back into the ground? I don't know that answer, obviously, but I'm saying that would be the first thing. The second thing is is the composition of the water. I'd be curious again for the, our folks that are in this, this space to reach out. Can you test the composition of the water and see if it has the chemical makeup of you know um, what they put into the ground? Because if so, then obviously you would say, okay, yes, this is coming from you know, what was injected back in the ground. So I think those are kind of things that this article obviously doesn't address, which is fine, but those are the things that I'd want to know because if you're, if you're trying to determine that, um, I would think, and our, our guest uh, might have some insight on that here in a minute when he t- we get him on, but I would think those would be a couple of things. Okay, how much how much has been put back in the ground, A, and then B, what was the makeup of that? And then, um, you know, if, with that information, you might be on the right way to figure out um, – you know, yeah, this is coming from these wells or it's some different source. And the third thing would be, obviously, is there salt water in the area naturally? So, and I get, I don't, I don't know that either. But, you know, so it's showing here nine gallons a minute that's coming out. 12, yeah. Like you said, 12,000 12, gallons, gallons a day. day. So how, how, how long can this happen until it runs out if it was a salt water disposal? Well, I don't know. It, it's... The article doesn't really, I mean, I didn't watch the video, but the article doesn't really kind of, guess, you know, how big of an area you're talking about, how many wells are in the area. There's, there's, you know, there's just so many factors that are kind of, uh, this is kind of one of those pieces where, you know, there's a lot of things that could have been asked and they could have been um, added to it. But um, at, at this point, it's just not there. So, um and the bad thing is this, you know, obviously, I don't kind of you know, lands in this area, but it'll, it'll kill all the grass, the crops, or, or whatever's there. So it's, 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 it's a problem that needs to get fixed as well. Yeah, our good friend Sergio uh, released his drilling down report today. And uh, a couple of a couple of things in there. So one, um, European oil major Royal Dutch Shell filed for six horizontal drilling permits with the Railroad Commission for five leases split between Winkler and Loving County. Uh, also, there's a, a mention in here in the Permian Basin, uh, Old Chevron. They uh, filed for 25 drilling permits, uh, so we looks like they're going to be ramping up uh, some production here, here pretty soon. And but let me ask you this: Am I reading this right? I, um, on the far left, the top 10 drillers, you have Chevron, EOG, Oxy, Conoco, Diamondback, Pioneer, uh, Crown Quest, Oasis. In Canada and Endeavor, um, I don't see XTO slash Exxon. I don't. Yeah. I, I can't remember if he puts them on as XTO or Exxon, but neither either way, it's not on here. Not on there. Yep. So um, I was really I, I did a double take. So I don't know, Sergio. If you I know you you listen, so if you could maybe uh, shoot me a text, let me know. Is that a an accidental omission or did they really drop off? Of course, I haven't. Had to go back and look at the past couple weeks, but I was really stunned to see they're not in the top ten. And they, for a while, they were Number like one. outpacing everyone by double like, digits. Du- yeah, yep. like double digits, like doubling them up. So really surprised that they've gone from 
doubling up everyone down to uh you know below endeavor is the lowest at 14 so well gentlemen we are having sergio on next week so we can ask him to explain himself then we will hold his feet to the fire oh oh so speaking of sergio so in China, um, one of the reporters that was with me was with the Houston Chronicle, and uh, he said he wants to come on the show. So we might have a interwar in the Chronicle starting between who our favorite Chronicle guest is. Internecine conflict, yes. just like the Goodman brothers. <laughs> oh my goodness! And this guy's from DC, so you know he's kind of a big time, big big time hitter. Probably gets, you know, probably yeah, rubs shoulders deal. with the elite. And so I mean, he's hanging out with me for ten days, so you know he's top top shelf kind of guy. So. Yeah, I'm just saying, Sergio, no pressure, but you, yeah, it's better keep. One your of your head. colleagues is coming for your crown. I'm just saying, it could happen. It could happen. Um, oh, oh, Sergio did report that um, in the Barnett that Sage Natural Resources plans to drill four new horizontal wells in Wise County, and so that was good to. Uh, that was good to see that he's giving us. You know, we haven't drilled them, but they're thinking about it. They're planning to. So, Sergio, we appreciate that you are showing some love. Again to the to the Barnett Shale. Um, the road to hell is paved with Barnett intentions. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, Josh, while, while we're waiting on our guest, um, I was thinking about you know we we need four reviews to get Nate in the water. So let's just kind of talk to the listeners real quick while we're waiting on Mister. Your Nate math sucks, on. Ryan. We need twenty nine. We need twenty nine. Well, four four is part of twenty nine. So let's just work on getting four at a time. One step at a time. Four at a time. Yeah, four. Let's do an increment of four. So, look, uh, looking at the schedule, um, I'm thinking somewhere like January 8th-ish is probably when Nate will go in the water. So, how are we going to – are we going to put this on the LinkedIn page or uh, – did you – we're going to order the, the Speedo like we talked about. Yeah, we need to we need to make sure that we, we get this done, that we get the ma- maximum impact. I mean, you only hit 200 once, you know what I'm saying? Do we have any weather forecasts? Like, what's the coldest day <laughs> – of January, yeah, January eighth would be like ninety out. degrees and sunny. <laughs> <laughs> Nate would be out there with sunshades, no raft. No, it's gotta be, it's gotta be. We gotta set the temperature. It's gotta be below thirty, right? <laughs> and neck deep. That's the that's the rules. Yeah, y'all please stop four. <laughs> Go for that prime number, people. Uh, oh, that's get funny. So we gotta, yeah, you know, we're right there. Oh. Um, final thing before we get the guest, the guest on the stickers I'm off this week for vacation but I will be sending the stickers out so if you left a five star review you take a uh, picture on your phone or whatever send it to me via email with your address I will get the stickers out here in um, early December to everyone who has those so you can remember Nate's epic polar plunge are you going to get them like really little again no <laughs> Well, the little stickers were, were representative of some things. You know what I'm saying? I see what you're saying. I completely dislike what you're saying. And the assumptions... But they were too small, so we're going to get something where people can actually see. So, um, yeah, so we're going to get some bigger stickers next Micro time. Micro stickers, Ryan, that's just like you. Nathan Phelps, I'm, I'm ready to see this. I am ready to see this. We have a special guest, David Gibson. He's the owner at Gibson Reports and host of Vidor Locksmith Podcast. David, great to have you on the show today. Well, thank you guys. I do appreciate it. It's, uh, it's good to be on such a such a, an amazing podcast like your own here. Well, thank you, David. 
So, David, uh, we see you have uh, extensive experience in oil and gas industry, especially offshore in Australia, uh, directional drilling engineer. You also have some experience over here in the States. Uh, so where, where has your experience mainly been located? Is it going to be permanent or in some of the, the other shell plays? Well, as far as the work that I've done here in the U.S., uh, the field work that I've done, like, you know, uh, you know, back when I was working in the field, most of the majority of it was uh, Barnett and Eagleford. Um, later in my career, some of the other stuff that I've done, uh, you know, got me out into the, you know, doing a lot of stuff in the Permian. Um, but, you know, as far as, you know, when I was doing management-based stuff, you know, when I was coordinating or managing, uh, I looked over pretty much all the different regions, whether it be Bakken, Midcon, Northeast, uh, anything and everything in Texas, um, even stuff, you know, up in Utah or whatnot. So, um, I've got pretty, pretty wide array of experience, but as far as the field hand stuff, it was mainly the Barnett and Eagleford. You know, one of the things on the show we've kind of talked about for quite some time is, is that, you know, just because the Permian's hot and heavy doesn't mean it's for you, um, or the Eaglefords, you know, might be more your pace or, or, or whatever. You've worked in these various fields. What are some of the, uh, and you're kind of more on the consulting side, I want to talk about your uh, some of the reports and stuff that you put out now because I think that would be interest to some of our listeners. But um, what are some of the things that you've seen as you've kind of, um, you know, the past year or two where, you know, folks maybe want to go to the Permian, they find out, yeah, there's a lot of money, but there's a, it's a lot more competition versus the Eagleford. You also talked about the Barnett. The Barnett was kind of hot and heavy at one time, and then it's, I mean, we were up here in the Barnett, so we hate to hate to kick kick the grave, if you will, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a lot different than it was, you know, 10 years ago. So for our listeners, different perspective, um, how do you, if you're talking with clients or people in the industry, how do you walk through this process of, hey, if you're thinking about the Permian, here's something to consider, here's some pros. If you're thinking about the Eagleford, here's some pros, here's some cons. Um, kind of walk us through that process as you engage with people through your um, through your business. Well, through my business, my main focus is uh, working with oil field service companies. So, um, so kind of the question that you're asking, you know, it, it kind of like leans towards people who are looking to be able to, you know, um, start drilling operations or going after uh, reserves and, you know, being more on the operator side. Um, to be able to answer that one, because we, we still answer questions on that side. The thing I, I like to be able to say is like, you know, one, you got to know the area that you're going into, do your research beforehand. You know, obviously Barnett is a very uh, heavy gas area. That's why, you know, there's not much going on there. Um, what we've seen in the Eagleford is that, you know, through all of the different acquisitions that you've seen a, a pretty large consolidation, you don't see as many independent uh, operators in that area. Uh, you know, you'll see like, you know, EOG, Chesapeake Marathon are doing the majority of all the work down there when, you know, five, six years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, um, you know, you know, every operator was, was doing something down there, even if they only had, you know, one or two leases. Um, now the Permian's kind of that way where you see there's, you know, you know multiple different operators out in that area. Um, so for the oil field service companies, the things I like to say based on what I've just said is that, you know, if if you're new or if you're looking to be able to get your foot in the door, um, it's it's beneficial to kind of go after these areas where there hasn't already been that consolidation um, and being able to find, 
uh, new younger operators who are willing to, you know, potentially take the risk on a new service company. And, you know, granted, a new service company just means it's a change in management. It doesn't mean that they're a whole brand new company. These guys have got experience that came from somewhere else. They just decided to do it on their own. So I it, I definitely think that, you know, right now, the way the Permian is, is that it's, it's kind of moving towards consolidation. You've seen already with, you know, our Oxy purchasing Anadarko and some of the other mergers that it's going to kind of continue going that route. Um, but you will always have independence in Texas. That's just something that's always going to happen. So there's always an opportunity for the, uh, the small oil field service companies to be able to get in somewhere. You know, we were covering stories a while back um, about some oil field service companies, you know, they were struggling to keep, and, and we heard this, you know, on the ground as well. They were struggling to, you know, hire talent, retain talent, um, especially in the Permian. Um, now, you're seeing articles that, um, from a different perspective now, uh, I think I saw before I went out of town that the Midland sales tax um, collection rate has gone down. Hotel rates are starting to drop a little bit. Um, so you're starting to see some indications, obviously, the rate counts down, that is slowing down out there. From the oil field service perspective, do they feel like, um, you know, some of the problems they've had, which were good problems to have, but they were still problems, which is you can't find people because everyone's uh, employed. Are we seeing a shift where now it is easier for maybe some of these newer companies that you mentioned to go into grab talent because uh, if they have a good client that isn't slowing down, um, their competitors might have to be laying off, and so they can't expand their market share because there's a little bit more talent out there available than there was six, eight months ago. Yeah, so definitely the companies that, you know, um, that go, that work in oil and gas, knowing that, you know, if we're, if, if the, if the industry's ticking up, they are preparing for the industry to go down. And if the industry's going down, they're preparing for the industry to go back up, right? That's what smart oil field service companies do, right? Uh, it's what smart operators do as well. Um, so, during this path downturn in 2015, there was a particular oil field service company that I do a lot of work with that, you know, they were, you know, per se hoarding cash or, or putting stuff away for a rainy day, knowing that, you know, what they were doing was, was great, but, you know, there's always that potential. And they were I, able to be able to get themselves into a point where once that downturn kind of took hold, not that they were predicting it, but they were still planning for some kind of anomaly. Um, that they were able to go and grab a lot of really good talent from other companies that were, you know, laying these people off because it got so bad that there were people just being let go. And it's like, you know, you're the best employee. You're the, you know, you were the flagship person, but we got to let you go because there's just, there's just no money. And so, you know, that's one of those things where, you know, if you've been laid off in the oil and gas industry, it's like, well, okay. Yeah. So it's everybody else. So it's not, it's not a ding on your resume at all because, it, you know, everybody's been affected by it in one way, shape or form. So now with this, you know, this more recent um, drop in rig count, the, you know, the companies that learned from the 2015, 2016 and didn't over leverage themselves in, in growth and, and kind of played, you know, almost like a conservative uh, and more organic growth rate. You know, now they've got the potential to be able to go out there and grab some, some, some top level talent, or at least just some some mid level guys to be able to fill in um, potentially some of these positions that that they have open. 
And the companies that are doing that are the companies that are going to continue to be able to progress and continue to be able to compete um, and, and be able to serve the operators and, and be able to outshine all the others. Yeah, and uh, and it feels like this time I don't I hate to make predictions. I made a prediction on the price of oil one time, and I said it would be within a range of a twenty dollars spread, and I still got it wrong. So I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna make a, a price prediction, but it does feel like this time the I hate to call it a downturn even, but the the decline we've seen over the past six to eight months is fundamentally different than it was a few years ago. Um, obviously, you know anything could happen, but it feels like this is more of a a short term swing than a long downturn. So if you are able to to position yourself, um, folks are getting laid off or, or or whatever, you might be able to scoop up some talent as you mentioned, planning for the uptick. Um, that uptick could be as soon as you know first in the first quarter, middle uh, of next year. And so yeah, if you can capitalize on that, this might be a good time to go and pick up those people um, in this kind of lull, if you will. Well, the other thing is, is that the industry is kind of per se kind of catching up with itself because we have, you know, from, from 2014 to today, um, wells in West Texas have gone from 20 to 20, 20 plus days down to, you know, where they're doing wells in less than 10 days, right. And different areas, different operators go at different rates and stuff, but they're, the rate at which we're we're drilling these wells is getting faster and faster and faster, and so we don't need two thousand rigs, right, to be able to to get all the work done. Now we can do all the work with you know half that. And so then, if there's a slight little you know kind of downturn, then it's a larger percentage of of the workload as opposed to before, where like you know a small little downswing would have been okay. Okay, we lose. 10% of the rigs. Now a little small downswing is like, okay, we lose 20, 25% of the rigs. Right. And so there is a, a certain point in here also that we don't need the the number of people in the industry that we once did. So during those big growth phases, we needed, you know, any person, you know, they were hiring people out of the stripes out in West Texas and saying, hey, instead of being a cashier, you want to go be a frack hand, you know? And you, you already live out here. Let's let's go do the work. And so now we're kind of getting back to where we don't need to do that. Um, now we can start saying, okay, who actually has experience out here? Be able to capitalize, bring those people in. And so as far as kind of going forward, now, like we said before, you can start stacking the deck with with personnel. And even if you, you know, maybe you don't even need that many personnel. Maybe now we're kind of getting back to a point where it's like, okay, now the staff that we have made a couple of layoffs. Now this is what, this is all we need going forward. We don't need more staff. Than this. There's a lot to look at there, but yep. you know, the big thing is during the downturn, you need to be preparing for the upswing. During the upswing, you need to be prepared for the downswing. Okay, let's turn now to GibsonReports.com. I see um, you put out these reports, um, obviously sample sizes on your, your LinkedIn, and we'll link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes into GibsonReports.com for the link, uh, for the listeners. Um, we talk a lot on this show about, um, you know, you know stats and, and, you know, kind of statistics and, you know, kind of how you can view them. And um, I always like to make fun of the, the ducks. I think that's a, a debate that's, that's kind of interesting. Um Walk us through what made you interested in first getting into the the business of kind of analyzing the data around the industry, and 
Maybe some of the con- things that when you started this process of, uh, of uh, issuing reports and client services, um, maybe some things that, that you've kind of shifted your opinion on where you thought, okay, you know what, I'm going to go here and the data is going to show me this. And then actually it showed me something a little bit differently or you've looked at ways to analyze the data differently than when you first started. Yeah, so uh, the way that I got started in this is that I was working for a company during the downturn, and we were a distribution agent for a uh, an MWD component tool, uh, tool company. And what I was having to do was go out and sell to all of the different directional drilling service companies. And if you've ever been in that realm, and I, and I think it's the same on all oil field service sides, is that you go ask somebody like, how busy are you guys? And they're like, oh man, oh, we're on 20 rigs or we got so many jobs going or we just picked up six new clients. It's it's always a lie. It really mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And so you really never know who's busy and who's not. And that really bothered me when I was trying to you know do my sales and stuff. And so I reached out to a couple of the different big data warehouse companies. I won't mention them just because I don't want to promote their names, but um, I reached out to them and said, Hey, do you guys have this data? Do you guys track this? And they're like, no. I'm like, okay, well, here's where the data is at. This is how you could do it. Would you do it? And they're like, yeah, we don't see that as important. I was like, well, I'll be willing right. to pay for it. And they still <laughs> said no. So then, right. so then I was like, okay, I guess I have to do it myself. And so two years before we actually started the company, I started, um, you know, I, I created the data set myself and it's all public data. Um, and we were just able to, you know, make correlations between the service companies and the operators uh, with the, this public data. And so what we were able to do from there, you know, when we started looking at the data was being able to know which specifically, you know, because our data set specifically about the directional drilling side, we could see which directional drilling companies were busy and which ones were. And that was kind of the genesis for me was to be able to say, okay, who do I need to focus my efforts on? Who do I need to call on? Who's, you know, doing nothing and who's actually out there doing something. So going forward, uh, you know, the, the data evolved from being just in an Excel sheet to something we automated online to where we could print out PDFs um, within 30 seconds to now where we've got a, a fully automated um, uh, data structure, you know, everything's hosted online on a SQL server and we can pull the data, you know, every morning at 6 a.m. and be able to see what's taking place in the industry. And one of the big things that really stood out in the very beginning, and it was one of my, my first posts for, Gibson reports uh, on LinkedIn was the percentage of work that the big four have versus everybody else in the state of Texas. So if you look at the total footage drilled in the state, of that total footage that's drilled in the state, only 16% of that work is done by the big four. The rest of it is either done by independent, uh, other publicly traded company or private equity companies here in Texas. So you got to think, Halliburton, Weatherford, Baker Hughes, Schlumberger only make up 16% of the total work of the total or of the total footage drilled in Texas. Yeah, I hate to cut you off there, but you would never think that by listening to a show like ours or anywhere else. You would just never 
think that'd be the case, you would assume that that those big four are kind of doing all the work. That's a uh, that's kind of a, a a very interesting insight that I would have uh, I would I would have thought of myself. Yeah, it's 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 crazy because you know I've you know we've had the company for over a year now. That was the very first post we made, and I still tell people this all the time and they're like no way that's not possible and i'm like yeah it's completely like that's exactly what the data says you know the the reason why the the company colors are black and white is because the data is black and white you know it's like you know you look at it and it's like it is what it is it's like you know i'm not making stuff up you can i can show you exactly how i came to these numbers we can all add it up together and and double check but it, it is what it is and so, you know, we've, when I talk to people who do work internationally, um, they don't believe it. Um, when we talk to people here in Texas, they don't believe it. Everybody's caught off guard by the fact that, you know, the big four aren't there. And, you know, to throw another stat out here for you, of the big four, Summerjay is not the first. Baker is. And they don't even rank in the top five. Summerjay doesn't. Summerjay, Summerjay doesn't. So you've got one through five, all the way to so number seven slot in the state. This is year to date, based off of footage here in Texas. Uh, number seven is Baker. Number eight is Schlumberger. Uh Ninth Cathedral, tennis Premier. Eleven is Weatherford, and twelve is Halliburton. Yeah, that, that's interesting, and it, it brings me to a point that I, I, I spend some time on this show. I don't talk about it a lot, but on Energy Week, I've talked about it before, and I know of offline, I've talked about it um, with some analysts that I've come across. And you know, the analysts will talk about you know how they're evaluating a company, and they'll listen to the CEO, and the CEO will say this, that, or the other on the quarterly call. And they'll take that and they'll look at the numbers, and they'll they'll do all this stuff and I'll start asking them questions about, well, do you know this about the company or do you know that stuff that's more pertinent to what I'm doing? So it'd be, you know, what you're offering for your, your clients is pertinent to what they're doing. What I'm asking about is pertinent to what I'm doing. And what you will find is, is the industry has so much data that's not being mined and it's, it's hard to, it's hard to figure out what it all means because we all have our own interpretation. So as you're talking me through this, I'm not in the same space. So this data is, it's interesting to me, but it's not, um, it's not relevant in the sense of like on a day-to-day basis, I don't use this. I wouldn't be using this as a, as a business development tool, but it's very interesting to me. And it feels like, I don't know at what point the turnover is going to happen, but it feels like as an industry, we have to do a better job of taking this data out, mining it, and then beginning to extrapolate some of the possible implications of what this could mean, how it impacts our business. Because as you're talking through this, this is a, as a, this from a business standpoint, I was sitting there going, okay, well, wait, okay, if what he's saying is true, then that means the barrier to entry to this space isn't as hard as I thought it would be. Now, obviously, I have no skill or expertise to do this, but if I had the skill or expertise, you would think it's a very intimidating space. These big four companies are going to dominate the market space. But as I hear what you're saying, it's like, oh, wow, okay. If you have this expertise um, and you have all you know, the, the things required, the funding, the insurance, stuff like that, um, you could maybe penetrate this market space and do pretty decent at it. Whereas before you told me all that, I never would have thought that. So I feel like there's a lot of information out there in the industry that we still haven't fully mined. And it's good to hear that you're kind of tapping into stuff like that, which gives people um, a different perspective and a different way to understand what's actually actually happening in the industry well the, the the key points that i like to draw on and to be able to extrapolate out of the directional drawing and mwd services 
is the fact that if if the direction of drilling services is like this, then the completions can be like this, the geosteering can be like this, the landman services, the right. it doesn't matter. Any one of the services can 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 go the same route because you know had we made the same data set and we did it for the completion side and we came up with similar numbers nobody would believe that be like there's no way on the completion side that that'd be possible or there's no way on the wireline side there's no way on the gyro services it was like we would have thought the big four dominated and so when i talk to people on an international scale i i always think of like areas like Saudi Arabia, where they're trying to put local content. Brazil, they're trying to do more local content. Nigeria, they want to do more local content. And that's, you know, they're just trying to help people that live there that know the work, know how to do it to be able to get the opportunity to do the work. And so Texas, what's great about Texas is Texas can be the leader in the world to be able to show how small businesses can operate for large oil and gas companies. So when I go to Nigeria and I consult with those guys, I say, hey, look, there are small oil field service companies that do work for ExxonMobil every single day. And they're like, no way. And I'm like, yes, this happens every day. I was like, it's happening right now. This ha- like, without a doubt, it's happening right now. And so that's what makes Texas so unique is that you get to see some of these people who they have the experience, they have the knowledge set, and they've got the the gumption to be able to take the risk and go out there and be an entrepreneur, and they can win work over companies like Sumberjay. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. I'm uh, oh, sorry, go ahead, Dr. Go ahead. And it's just, it's, it's, just, it's just one of those great things about doing work here in Texas. And, and for me, being on the data side to be able to look at this and and you know, having seen this firsthand and having that, that, that thought that that's what was taking place, but now to be able to prove it and be able to show it to everybody else, especially anybody in Texas and then outside of it, it's a great feeling. You know, it's funny because the Nigeria thing rings home because I have some business dealings in South Africa. And one of the obstacles that we face is, is if they have a, um, a supplier or reseller of a product here in the States, they'll say, oh, this supplier knows all of the people. And they say that because, talking about oil and gas, because in South Africa, there's like, you know, two or three, you got Sasol and a couple other oil and gas companies. So for them, the the concept of, you know, I think the last time I looked, the, and you, you probably know this number, the um, the operators in Texas is like, if you pull the list, you know, it's like 10,000 or something crazy. Of course, that's a lot of older stuff. But but for um, for a, a country like South Africa or Nigeria, it's hard for them to conceptualize how many different companies you got the Exxon Mobiles, but you also got EMPs that you know me and you have never even heard of because they're you know they're PE backed and they're not making a lot of noise, and so uh, that that's, that that does ring true probably more so than I, I, I would have thought when you said it because internationally they don't have the that diverse marketplace and so to kind of reverse engineer that and say hey if we're working for exxon mobile here then yeah we can go work for them there and so uh, i think that's a that's a very good point we are running up against the clock though i do want to mention your show that you have um walk folk it's on linkedin only i believe theodore locksmith walk folks through what that is obviously we're linking to your profile uh, what kind of content's on there and um do you have, I, don't, I don't know if you have a i see it when it comes up live but i don't know if it's a regularly scheduled program so kind of answer that question for us as well well, uh, just to throw a quick stat at you, at you, so far this year, 356 operators have done work in the state of Texas so far, like as far as drilling new wells, and 84 of those are brand new operators 
total footage so far this year, 94 million and a total of 148,000 rig days. So wow. just there we go. Quick, quick numbers there since you mentioned. Um, so the Vitor Locksmith show, um, we, we regularly do the show at 10 a.m. on Fridays. Um, I was selected by LinkedIn uh, as one of the first 50 users of the 650 million users on their flat platform to be able to broadcast live. Um, so I was in that, that very select group. And since I'm in the oil and gas business, he said, let's do an oil and gas show. Um, and, uh, I'm, I've been around the camera since I was a little kid. I had my own little, like, you know, TV show when I was in second grade where I'd interview like other kids and stuff. Um, big, huge thanks to my mom. Who's, you know, a 30 year videography professional and one that got me into doing this stuff. So, uh, I just kind of took my talents and said, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at being able to ask people questions. So it feels a little bit different today being, you know, having somebody ask me questions. Uh, but yeah, we just, the, the shows at 10 AM on Fridays, we broadcast live on LinkedIn. We just started being able to, um, we worked out the kinks to be able to broadcast live on YouTube and on Facebook at the same time. So we go live on all three platforms at the same time. So you can watch on, on any one of those. It's Gibson reports on, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, on LinkedIn, it's actually hashtag Vidor Locksmith, or you connect with me and you should get a notification as soon as we go live. We're talking to people in the oil and gas industry that that I think it, you know interesting people, people who have interesting stories. We we try to get a lot of technical people on because we see that there's a big gap in the industry as far as um, technical expertise and. You know, you can't really, you know, jump on LinkedIn and just, you know, search MWD or completions mm -hmm. techniques and stuff. Mm -hmm. If you do, what you end up seeing is a lot of people's promotional videos and not educational uh, videos. Um, and definitely you don't see any kind of like uh, interviews that, you know, if we were in the fitness business, you, there'd be so much there. It would just be noise okay. for us. There's not even, a, there's not even enough there to make noise. It, it's mm -hmm. just crickets chirping you know so um i think it's something that you know like what you guys are doing i think anybody that's got a podcast or doing videos or something it's it's needed none of us are competing with each other all of us are helping each other out um so i encourage anybody else out there start making videos especially I'll plug this real quick if you've been laid off and you've got some expertise, even if you don't have a lot of expertise, start documenting what you're doing, start putting out some videos, start putting out some content, start growing your brand, and that will help you get back um, to landing a job pretty soon. So I, I like what you guys are doing. I'm a big fan of it. Um, I, and hopefully some people, you know, if y'all like our show, tune into it, watch it. Um, if you got any suggestions, feel free to let us know. Okay, and thank you again for coming on. We'll be sure to link to your website and your LinkedIn profile in the show notes so listeners can connect with you there and follow all the work that you do. Um, I enjoy seeing this, the uh, the stuff that you put out on LinkedIn as far as um, you know your statistics, and I know you don't put your all your reports, but what you do put out, I do I do like that because it is a different perspective on part of the industry that I don't deal with on a daily basis. So it's kind of helpful to to see what other people care about. And it's in the industry so big that it's hard to know what 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 moves the needle for everyone. And um, so much of our industry is is uh, the news is around trading news. You know, the price rose this, the price did that, and for most of us, the price moving from fifty six dollars and twenty two cents to fifty seven dollars even doesn't mean a whole lot. You know, <laughs> but but that's what the news is. It's all uh, trading news. So it's good to see. Uh, 
different news and understand different parts of the industry that we don't deal with on a daily basis. So thank you again for coming on the show today and uh, look forward to get you on again in the future. Okay, big thanks to David Gibson for coming on the show today. It was great having him on. For our Texas Roundup for the day, um, there was an article that came out in the Dallas Morning News, oil and gas well fracking creates a lot of wastewater. Here's where things get interesting. So um, not going to cover too much of this, but there was a research group, the Collaborative uh, Laboratories for Environmental Analysis and Remediation at the University of Texas at Arlington, has been studying uh, the wastewater, and they found that um, with the multifaceted treatment process, they can actually recycle some of this water and begin to pull things out of the water like lithium and other metals that they can use for lithium ion batteries. And so they're looking at some of the, some of the products, uh, what they would call the waste in the water, can actually be used for other purposes. And so they're trying to, uh, to figure out better ways to take the water and, and make use of it. So there's uh, research going on into ways that they can begin to recycle and reuse the water, but also to extract from the water certain metals and, and other iron, cobalt, and, and other things that they're finding in the water and uh, possibly create some, some better margins for some of these EMP companies. With that, Ryan, I think that uh, that wraps us four up, Four more. Man. Four more. Four more. And you're going to hear four more years a lot next, next year for the uh, presidential campaign for President Trump. We're saying four more five stars. We just need four more five stars. Folks, get these in. Josh is probably going to take off. If he shows up for a podcast the rest of the year, I'd be impressed, to be quite honest with you. So we need to get these in as quick as possible, four more, and so we can start planning the polar plunge of 2020 for Nathan Phelps. Um, if you want to hear about my detainment in China, that will be on Bringing the Closures podcast this afternoon. So Nate can link to that in the show notes. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah, so we're breaking down my detainment in China. And uh, Energy Week podcast, Ellen and I have on Lord Barker. So, Lord Gregory Barker. Yeah. So Baron of Battle and Bexhill. There we go. And uh, with that, Josh, wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll be back week, uh, back next week. Until then, keep coming.